Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number six in this series, The Coming King. I hope you're getting a lot out of this. I hope you're opening your eyes to the fact that a king who rules in righteousness is coming back to planet Earth a second time. And this time, he's not coming as a suffering savior. He is not coming this time as a baby in a manger. He is coming uh, to establish righteousness and justice uh, for the world, but specifically for his people. You know, it's an amazing thing. By the, way, by the way, this message is called The Righteous World Order, because it's, it's just such an amazing thing to me that there are so many people that have great knowledge about the new world order. In other words, the the world order that the wicked of the world are seeking to establish. And I'll tell you, in years gone by, a politician would not have dared to make reference to the new world order. Uh, and, and I remember whenever, uh, whenever we invaded Iraq the first time, I remember the first President Bush stating in a speech about that invasion was that this was the beginning of the new world order. And from that time until now, you hear uh, politicians get more and more open about mentioning a new world order. Now, for them, this is a new world order where the elite will rule, where all ethics, morals, and values that are based on the word of God will be rejected, a totally different a system of morals and values and justice will be will be established, and basically this will give rise to uh, who we identify as the Antichrist, the lawless one, the one who rejects God's laws and commandments as the basis for righteousness. Now I'm not talking about earning righteousness. Don't you know people? People are crazy on the internet. You know, you got one group of people who have a very skewed concept of grace, and they totally reject God's laws and commandments, which means they are in lawlessness, and they are part of what is facilitating the rise of the Antichrist. And on the other extreme, you've got the legalists who are trying to get everybody to go back and obey all the laws all the time for the wrong reasons, not based on faith, not based on walking in love and those sorts of things. So, so it's amazing, and that's, you know, that's kind of the way the church has been for for pretty much the last two thousand years. Is one extreme other or the other, either either lawlessness uh, or legalism. Those are, those have been pretty much the two options. And um, man, the people that are screaming the loudest about that stuff, uh, it seems like they have no awareness of who Jesus is. They have no. Uh, awareness of morals and values and, and ethics that are uh, independent of legalism. But listen, let's don't go there. Here, here's the point. The point is, it's amazing to me how many believers know that a new world order is coming. And like I say, finally, politicians are talking about this openly. They, they intend to have a world 
where the government rules and controls all thought processes and controls all aspects of life. But it's amazing to me how the church knows more about the Luciferian world order than it does about the righteous world order. So I want you to understand something. Lucifer is seeking through wicked governmental people, wicked religious leaders, wicked leaders of all kinds. He is seeking to establish a new world order where, like I say, all morals, values, ethics are uh, that are based on the word of God are totally rejected and ultimately has the desire and the intention to establish himself as God and force worship of, of Lucifer uh, on the entire world. And, uh, you, know, you know, he is seeking to do that because it is always his intention to get men to trust him to be and to do what only God himself can be and do. But here's, here's the tragic thing is that, is that we know all about the Luciferian world order, but we don't know about the righteous world order that actually will be established and will succeed and will last all the way through eternity. And it will be established by the King of Kings, the King of Righteousness, the Prince of Peace. In other words, this will be established in everything that God is, everything that Jesus is. Now, again, we know more about the counterfeit that's out there than we do about the divine originals. We think we know more about the Antichrist, or we think we need to know more about the Antichrist than we do about the Christ. It amazes me how people just think that they can just learn more and more and more about the Antichrist, more and more and more about the tribulation, that somehow know that will prepare them to face uh, the future that is already coming upon uh, planet Earth. No, it absolutely won't. This is where we need to know more and more and more about the, about the Christ. So now for nearly 6,000 years, in other words, uh, since man rebelled in the garden, man has chosen lawlessness and unrighteousness over righteousness. Uh, we have chosen to establish the world in our own personal concepts of good and evil. We've rejected God's concepts of good and evil, and we've come up with our own. And, and what is happening, the darkness that is flooding the world today, the corruption that you see uh, all over the world, uh, you know, drug addiction, violence, immorality, godlessness, pornography, corruption in government, corruption in church, corruption everywhere that you go. And mainly all that corruption is based on the greed of leaders who want to oppress people and use people uh, for their own for their own benefit and their own gain. And it's the lawlessness that has gotten the entire world into this situation. But eventually we will see the fruit of 6,000 years of lawlessness and finally realize that it has been the rejection of God's word, the rejection of God's Messiah as the Bible presents him, uh, the rejection of God's truth uh, that has plunged the world into this wicked, destructive godlessness. And uh, and finally, the human race, or, or let me put it this way, a 
large portion of the human race is going to come to see that it is time to surrender to the righteousness of God that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a gift that works in our heart, that makes us desire righteousness, that compels us to righteousness. And, uh, the, and, and the Word of God, uh, the Law and the Commandments, as how we define righteousness, understand, that, now remember, that doesn't make us righteous. Doing the law will not make you righteous. The law itself says that you can never become righteous because you obey the law. It cannot happen. Righteousness is a supernatural, free, spiritual gift that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so, but righteousness, you have to understand something. Righteousness is at the core of all that God is and all that he's, uh, that he does. Now, when you look at righteousness, and this, you know, I'm telling you, people just get lost on this. I probably need to do an entire series. Well, actually, I'm going to do an entire series about faith righteousness, and I'm going to talk a lot about this. But righteousness provides an informational, or you might even say an intellectual uh, uh, definition of, of uh, or the law and the commandments provides an intellectual definition of what righteousness should look like. In other words, the law it serves as a signpost. And when you look up the word law in, in the Hebrew, you see that one of the translations could be the word signpost. The law serves as a signpost. Uh, it doesn't make us righteous. Doing it doesn't make us righteous. But if we are walking in faith and love, we will uh, always do that which is in harmony with the law and commandments. That's why love fulfills the commandments. Now, love doesn't do away with the commandments. Fulfillment, that word fulfillment, doesn't mean that it replaces the commandments. It means that love brings us to the full expression of, of why God gave us the commandments. You know, I say this all the time. This is so simple. I, I hear people railing against the law and the commandments and, and how bad it is. Well, number one, you have to consider God a fool to say that the law and the commandments are bad because if the law and the commandments are bad, then the God that gave them is bad. But here, here's what you have to understand. Tell me why it's bad to not lie. Tell me why it's bad to tell the truth. Tell me why it's bad to not commit adultery. Tell me why it's bad or evil to not commit murder. Tell me why it's bad to pay your debts. Tell me why it's, tell me why, I mean, why it's not bad to, to pay your debts. So it's amazing to me how we just abandon all logic when it comes to this. But we have to realize all of these things that the law tells us are meaningless if it does not come through a heart. In other words, if it's just something you're doing to try to impress God, to try to earn something from God, to try to uh, get God to bless you, then the real truth is it is, it is as corrupt as the day is long because it is a rejection of what Jesus came to give us. Jesus came to live in us by the Holy Spirit and bring in us the righteousness of God. Like I said, that is a power, is a strength, it is a capacity that works in us so that we will have a desire and a willingness and a strength to actually live a righteous life. But that righteousness will be defined by the law. I'm telling you, it is such a paradox 
that people just can't get it. When you start talking about about the fact that righteousness is defined by the law and the commandments, the people who think they understand grace lose their minds. When you start talking about, about grace uh, and, and faith righteousness, the people who want to get you into legalism, they lose their mind. Well, the element that's missing in both of those extreme camps is the fact that it's all about what you believe in your heart. If you believe on Jesus, the resurrected Lord, as your righteousness, then something happens in your heart. And like I say, you have the desire, you have the passion, you have the strength, you have the grace, you have God working in you to live and pursue a righteous life. And so it is such a paradox that actually the Apostle Paul tells us that faith righteousness is, in fact, the stumbling stone of the gospel. In other words, more people struggle and stumble over the issue of righteousness, which means which means they're going to struggle with legalism and they're going to struggle with liberalism. And, and they're going to have trouble bringing those two together until they come to the primary factor that is left out that the Bible has always taught, and that is it has to be in your heart, and what is in your heart is based on what you believe. So if I'm going to actually walk in righteousness, not only do I have the signposts of the law and the commandments that tell me what it's going to look like, there's two other factors that have to be involved in that, and that is, that is uh, uh, faith and love. And so if love is my motive, you see, when you look at the, at the core of who God is, I'll tell you, for, for, for a long time, uh, as really for the first 20 years that I was in the ministry, I've been in the ministry over 50 years now, but for the first 20 years I was in the ministry, I would say if you look at the core of who God is, when you get to the core of knowing and understanding God, what you're going to find is love. That's really not true. What you're going to find when you get to the core of who God is, is you're going to find righteousness. But what you're going to find when you look at the heart of God, first and foremost, is, is he, everything that he does is going to be motivated by the biblical definition of love. Well, the biblical definition of love is to value something or someone, to consider it precious, to hold it in high regard. So God values us. God holds us in high regard. God considers us precious. And so, and so that's what compels him to always, uh, establish his behavior. Everything that he does in relationship to us, uh, we, can, we can predict it. We can understand what he's going to do because he has told us what righteousness will look like. So there's the motive of love, but then there's also the intention. You know, when you look back at creation, the book of Genesis, and, and you have uh, these all these times where it says that, you know, that God said, let there be light, or God said, let there be this, or God said, let there be that. In the Hebrew language, there's a word for say or said, and uh, one, one of the words for say or said, the emphasis is on the verbalization, it's on actually saying the words. But when God created the world, that word say is based more on what he conceived in his heart and what his intention was for what he conceived in his heart. So God's intention in creating the world, number one, it was motivated by love, the value he has for the human race. So originally, 
the world was created, all of the universe was created to sustain human life at the highest possible optimal level. Now, sin messed that up, but still, that was what motivated God. Now, so his intention, and you know, you notice it would say that that you know God said this, let the light be, and he saw that the light was good. So we know that word said, he, he had an intention. Well, what was his intention? Well, the word good, uh, particularly in the Hebrew language, actually, th this really applies in both the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament, but the word good always points to the concept of, of harmony. So God, his motive was love. He wanted the world to be a perfect habitation for the human race. And so, so love was his motive. So his intention then was that he would create a world that was in complete harmony with his intention, with, with his desire to produce it. So harmony, and so actually harmony starts getting very much into the concept of righteousness, because uh, righteousness is always going to be in harmony with God. So God created the world with the motive that would be a perfect world for a habitation for humanity, and with the intention that in order for that to happen, it had to be in exact harmony with with his intentions. So, so we start kind of we, we start getting a whole new look at motives and intentions. We get a whole new look at what righteousness really is about. Now, if we believe that God is good and that God is only good, then His intention is always for our good, not, not just for a, a selfish momentary fulfillment, not just for something that happens in this very second and, and it's all about us. Uh, it, it's about fulfilling every aspect of his, of his value for the entire human race. So everything God does in you as an individual, he, not, he doesn't want to stop with you. He wants it to go on to manifest in other people's lives by other people seeing uh Christ in you, by other people experiencing the righteousness of God in you. So now when, when the king comes back and sits on the throne, and we learned, we learned that when Jesus sits on the throne, he's not sitting there as a baby in a manger. He is not sitting there as a suffering Messiah. He is coming back as the prince of peace. Well, I want you to understand something. In order for there to be peace, there first has to be righteousness. Then there has to be judgment. And there has to be justice. Now, in Isaiah 9, I'm, I'm going to rush this, but I'm trying to cover so much in this message. It says, for, it says in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. This is prophecy about Jesus. It says, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Uh, so, so Jesus is coming, and we know that he is the Prince of Peace. We know that he is, he is uh, uh, the King of Righteousness. And we know that he is the exact representation, the perfect manifestation of all that God is. He is, he is where we look to see and understand who God is and how we should function as believers and, and how, we, how we walk in the word without becoming a legalist, without becoming mean and judgmental. But anyhow, so when Jesus comes, he will establish a government, because remember, now when he comes back, and if you if you haven't listened to these other messages on 
of the coming king. I, I recommend you go back because we learn that he is going to come back. And, and you got to understand this. He is going to destroy all of those who sought to destroy the world through lawlessness, who sought to oppress the righteous through lawlessness. And you know, to a lot of people, that seems incredibly brutal, but that's the only way he can save the world. That's the only way he can save you and I from the wicked is to come back and rule with a rod of iron. And he is going to establish a worldwide government. What's really interesting, it says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. You know, that word counselor is kind of interesting because that word means to deliberate and to resolve. It says he's going to, he, they're going to call him the everlasting father. Now, we know that there is a trinity, but we know that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. If you want to see God the Father, you have to look at him. Well, that Hebrew root word for uh, uh, everlasting father is spelled an dalit, and the an is all about perception. So we will perceive who God really is, uh, and we will perceive the justice and the righteousness of God by how Jesus rules and reigns on planet Earth. And the Dalit is a portal. It's an opening. And so by seeing who God is, we will have a portal or an opening in our heart uh, to know and access God. And it says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, he'll order and establish it with judgment and justice. Uh, and from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, the word judgment and justice actually comes from a Hebrew word, which it has a compound meaning, and that is a verdict and a penalty or a sentence. Now, see, we have this thing where Jesus came, and the first time Jesus was here, the first advent, the first appearing, he said, I came not to judge the world, but to save it. So we get this idea from that, that there will never be judgment. Listen, one of the foundations of the faith is that there's going to be uh, judgment. There's going to be the judgment seat of Christ, where we go to receive our rewards. There's going to be the great white throne judgment. There are going to be judgments. And in, in judgments, this is where an assessment is made, and based on that assessment, then there is justice. So now justice is basically where, uh, basically, uh, the sentence uh, is in harmony with the action, and that can be a, a bad sentencing or a good sentencing. See, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to receive rewards. Many of these grace people think there's no room for rewards, that there is no benefit to living godly. There's no benefit to serving God. Well, uh, you, you might want to go back and, and read the Apostle Paul's writing in the book of Corinthians, where he talks about, we will all appear before the judgment seat. Now, this is we're not going there to determine if we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven because we have believed and received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Uh, but uh, we are there to determine the rewards and pretty much determine what our role will be in the millennium, in the thousand-year reign here on planet Earth where we will rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm almost out of time, so I've really got to get this in. If you'll remember, after Jesus had his, his temptation in Luke 4, and then he, 
then he launches his public ministry. And you remember, he goes uh, to the synagogue and he opens the scripture to Isaiah, what we call Isaiah 61. And he, and he quotes this scripture and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison door to those who are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, man, I could spend hours and hours on that. I have free messages that where you can, where you can uh, learn what all that really entails. And I'll tell you, it is so rich and so powerful. But see, we, we, if you go to Isaiah 61, you look at where Jesus was quoting, he stopped at that point. Now, in the New Testament, or even in the Old Testament, you know, a, a comma has been inserted there. So, so the comma separated two very distinct aspects of what Jesus was going to do. So, in Jesus' first coming, he was fulfilling, and he said, "Today, this is fulfilled." In right here, right here before your eyes, this is fulfilled. This all this stuff about about uh, preaching the good news to the poor, healing the sick, uh, uh, healing the brokenhearted, claiming the liberty of the captives, open the prison doors, open the eyes of the blind, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, in other words, the year of Jubilee. But here's what we fail to understand. At his second coming, the second part of that prophecy is fulfilled, to pro proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. Who are those who are mourning? Those who have been persecuted by the wicked world, those who have been persecuted for righteousness sake, those who have been martyred and slaughtered, who never got justice by the wicked governments of this world, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and they will be called trees of righteousness, the plan of the Lord. So the first coming, Jesus comes to declare all the good news so that everyone could know who he is, so everyone could come to him, they could experience the salvation of God. But at his second coming, it says in, in Jeremiah 22, uh, verses 2 through 5, it says that he's coming to execute judgment and righteousness and to deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Listen, you cannot deliver the world from oppression until you deliver the human race out of, uh, out of the hands of, of the plunder. And, and you do that by executing judgment and justice and righteousness. So, you know, Isaiah 6, 16, 5 says, in mercy, the, this throne is going to be established, and the one who will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. Listen here. The king that's going to sit on this throne is going to establish a one-world government, and all, all leaders that are not part of the second coming, the believers who have been transformed completely by the Holy Spirit and who will rule and reign with Jesus, all other leaders will be demoted from power. And for the first time, the world will get to see what it would look like if the governments of the world and the voters of the world had actually believed the righteousness of God instead of exalting humanism and and all these other, all these other horrible, compromising, immoral, ungodly beliefs. And so there is going to be a one-world government based on Jesus the King sitting on the throne of David, 
and he is going to rule and reign the world from uh, Israel, and we are going to rule and reign with him, and we're going to have a thousand years of justice based on God's definition of righteousness. And uh, you know something? Finally, we're going to see what we could have had all of these thousands of years. I'll tell you, it's going to be the greatest time of people turning to God that the world has ever seen, because finally, God's going to be represented by his king, by the Messiah. All right, guys, go to impactministries.com. Check out all the free stuff we got for you. And I'll be talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.